モーニングプロジェクトプレゼンツ Welcome to the very special first episode of Miranda's Sweets Shop.、Uh, I am your host, Shidoshi, and with me today is nobody. That's right, absolutely nobody. It's me and only me. It's all you get.、Uh, this is my new show for doing things、uh, solo. That sounds kind of kinky, but I didn't quite mean it that way.、Uh, <laughs> how about we rephrase it to be、uh, a. a Solo podcast.、Um, so I, I have like a whole bunch of things to figure out what to do first、uh, before getting into the actual part of the podcast in explanatory ways.、Uh, I have like three different things. So I guess first, what I'll say is before I waste any more of your time, that indeed this is just going to be me and me alone, no guests. No、uh, other regular hosts, nobody but Shidoshi.、Uh, so if you find that idea to be incredibly boring, you might as well just turn this podcast off right here and now.、Um, I am not going to do any editing to this podcast. So you're going to hear a lot of ums, a lot of hmms, possibly some、uh, pauses as I think about what it is I want to say. So again, If that does not sound exciting to you, stop here.、Uh, and there is no theme to this podcast.、Uh, every podcast in Miranda's Sweets Shop that I do is going to be just whatever I feel like doing at the time.、Uh, so, again, again, if that sounds lame, ah, nice drink. You can turn it off.、Um, so, yes,、yeah, so, so, so what is this? Like, why am I doing this? I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing this. But let me, let me get into the genesis of how this podcast came to be.、Um, so, of course, I do currently two other podcasts、uh, Warning, a huge podcast, and Smart Video Game Fan.、Um, 
So back earlier this year, warning, or uh, WAP, as we might say, never say WAP, because WAP could lead to bad, uh, uh, you know, when you say one thing and you think of another, um, forgetting the English, so, so always say WAP. Um, so, so WAP had this little break that we had to take for, for personal reasons um, on the part of one of our hosts. And during that time, it just so happened to be that um, everything went down in Japan. You know, the, the earthquake, tsunami, and all that kind of stuff. So I got the bright idea. I'm like, hey, since we're on break right now, why don't I do a podcast about Japan? And I can put it up on the feed. That way people will have at least something until the actual real warning, a huge podcast comes back. So I had... Um, I don't know if I want to say half of it or a third of it recorded, and I didn't have a chance to finish it, and then I just basically threw it away. Uh, but that had always kind of kept in the back of my mind, you know, do, do I ever want to do a solo podcast? And solo podcasts are kind of weird, because it is just kind of one person uh, spewing forth ramblings most of the time, almost at a, a digital or an audio blog or, you know, a, a live journal the kids who know what live journal is um so you know i wasn't really sure if i wanted to do it or not but i'm gonna try it so this is the first episode we'll see how it goes and if absolutely nobody gives an ass about this podcast maybe i won't do it again and if people do care and find it interesting then maybe i will uh but like i said i I am not promising at all this is going to be interesting because it is just me uh rambling ah about various things so, um, the other thing I wanted to mention before we get going, Miranda's Sweets Shop. What the F is up with that name? <laughs> um, so, I'm, I'm very hardcore names. Like, like, names are a very, very big deal to me. Uh, I do a lot of contemplating about names for characters, for these, these weird daydreams or story plans and things like that, uh, and, and I... I obsess over the characters' names. Um, whenever I make a website or a project, or I think, hey, I'm going to do this new magazine, uh, I, I, I obsess over those names. Um, I've had my own personal websites go through name after name after name because I always think, because I attach names to the whole creation process. You know, you have... You have design, you have color, you have theme, all those kind of things. And a name is very, very important to that. And Miranda's Sweet Shop actually comes from the old BBS I used to run back in the day. Uh, now, this is the point where you are either horribly old or you are a youngin, And um, that will determine which of you understand what a BBS is and which of you don't. Uh, So, for those of you who don't, let me explain real quick. Back in the pre-internet days, yes, there was a day when there was no internet. Or at least, no internet for us common folk. Um, We had these things called BBSs, a bulletin board system. Now, the easiest way to think of it is think of it as a message forum uh, before the internet. And what you would do is, instead of having a message form on a website somewhere where you type in the URL, you go there and you post for the longer with everybody else, this BBS was running on somebody's actual personal computer. And the amount of people 
that could be on the BBS at any one time was determined by how many phone lines, like actual real landlines you owned. So you had this BBS on your computer and it'd be running all the time and somebody said, hey, I want to call up that, that I want to get on that BBS and, and read what people have said and I want to post my comments and I want to send a personal message and stuff. And so you would use your computer and your modem, your dial-up modem, uh, to call that person's computer. And if nobody was using it at the time, you could log in and use it. If somebody was and they only had one phone line, you got a busy signal and you had to wait. Can, can you imagine, uh, all you folks out there, with your with your the next levels or your NeoGAFs or your Fortchons or something awful or wherever you go, can you imagine... Like, I want to go to NeoGAF, and you go there, and it's busy. I mean, yes, okay, around certain times, uh, like E3 and whatever, they crash because of so many people going on there. But can you imagine just, like, if on a regular basis a website was busy? Well, that's what BBSs had on a regular, you know, would happen. So you'd call in, and since, you know, most BBSs only had that one phone line. There were some really fancy ones where people would actually splurge for, a ton of phone lines and actually be paying for like, you know, five, six, ten uh, full separate phone lines a month. But most only had one. So you'd call in and you'd be the one person on there. And you, you would read posts and you would reply to posts, you know. So there was always like this kind of, there, there was back and forth discussion, but it was more of like an email-ish kind of discussion because... You know, on, on NeoGAF or TNL or wherever, I can go on there, I can post a, a reply, and, you know, 10 seconds later, somebody could have replied to me. Well, that wasn't going on, because you would go on, you would do all your replying at once. You know, every topic you're going to reply to, you'd go into and you'd reply all at once, and then you'd go away, and then come back maybe an hour later, two hours later, the next day, whatever, and then see what had happened since then. So it was very interesting how the conversations worked. It was not this very quick back and forth. It was you put more time in thought and energy into your replies. Well, so anyway, I'm in high school, or, um, yes, beginning of high school, and I get a Macintosh, and my brother had, at one point, brought home a, a PC, and I learned that there were three good parts about owning a computer in your home. Uh, the first, of course, was porn, which, I mean, yes, even back then, as soon as you got online... Even in the BBS days, you found out about porn. So that was there. Uh, then there was Leisure Suit Larry, which was pretty much the only game I played on my brother's PC. Uh, and so in this monochrome amber screen, I played Leisure Suit Larry, the original game. Uh, but the third thing was BBSs. And it just like blew my mind. It's like it's, it's this connection to people. You know, like I said, for people these days, you don't even think about it. You've got IM, you've got message forums, you've got the Facebook, you've got the Twitter... All that kind of crazy stuff, you know, your instant messaging on, I mean, your, your SMS and your phone, whatever. But, but back then, you know, we really didn't have that kind of connection to people. It was, it was you either called them or you saw them. Or you, I guess you wrote a letter, you know. But digital communication did not exist at that point. So it was fascinating for me to, to have this computer that could then call up and connect with people. And I think the first one I connected with was the library, and the library in town had this list of other BBSs that were out there. Um, not the more adult ones, but, you know. Uh, and then you'd call one BBS, and 
it might be what you're like, you're kind of seeing, it might not be, but they would have a list of other BBSs that they kind of liked. And so you'd keep like this, this kind of chain, kind of like the whole Wikipedia thing. You go to Wikipedia for one article, and next thing you know, it's an hour later, and you've gotten on to a completely different subject. Uh, so it was, it was this really exciting time of this digital connection and connecting to people outside of your world. I mean, it was still, it was still local. It was still in your town. Uh, because you were you were paying, to, you know, you were using your phone to call somebody else's phone. So you, typically, you did not call out of your own city because you didn't want to pay long distance charges. Uh, so it was still local people, but that also was kind of the fun part of it because it was local people. So that if you met these virtual personas on the BBS, you could then meet them later on in real life. But so I found these BBS things, and I got totally into them. And so I made my own. And my own went through a few different names. I know one time I think I called it Fantasy Star BBS because I was hardcore about Fantasy Star. Uh, I think I called it Pandora's Box at one point. But the name that we ended up sticking up with was Miranda's Cafe. Uh, Miranda, a name I just, again, I I liked the name and I wanted to use it in that way. And and the way it sounded, you know, uh, the way names sound to me is, is very, very important when they're connected with other words and, and, and usage and whatever. So Miranda's Cafe. And so I actually ended up, the people that I consider right now to be my best friends in life, uh, pretty much almost all of them I met through a BBS in one way or another, either uh, meeting them on a different BBS or having had my Miranda's Cafe BBS up and running and them joining up and us becoming friends. Um, so Miranda's Cafe was my BBS, and I thought, you know what, I want to bring that name back, but in a little bit different way. Uh, so Miranda's Sweets Shop, uh, which I really shouldn't do because I have a terrible time with S's, as maybe you can tell or not tell. Um, <clears throat> I had, when I was uh, in elementary school, I, had, I was in speech class. Um, not because I had a problem talking, per se, but uh, I've always had a little bit of a stutter, which I still do occasionally. I had it pretty bad when I was a kid. Uh, but my problem basically is my brain works too fast compared to my mouth. So my mouth is behind my brain, and it either ends up that I talk really fast a lot of the time or um, I have a stutter, so I have to kind of slow myself down. But then also, I've never liked my S's. Um, but anyway. So why are we here today? We're here today to talk about Japan. Uh as I said before, I was going to do this podcast about Japan, and I kind of started getting into it, and I wasn't sure where I wanted to go with it, and so I stopped. Um, and to be honest, I'm not still sure where I want to go with it, but you know what? Let's, let's go, and let's see what happens. And maybe I cut it off halfway. I don't know. Uh, but so in so many things, um, uh, you know, not just wanting a huge podcast and not just my job, but in so many ways – my life, in one way or another, has been affected by Japan. And Japan is a really, really interesting topic um, because, like, like, what you think about it now and what it was back when I got into it are actually very, very different. Because uh, now it's like, if you say, oh, I'm into this Japanese stuff, like, people might think you're like a weirdo Otaku, you know, people, even, even the fact that people know the word otaku at this point, 
you know, when I got into it, we didn't even have the word otaku around. It didn't exist in that kind of usage. Um, so it's like, it's, it's interesting because nowadays people can kind of understand because you have all this, you know, you have what, like Gwen Stefani and her Harajuku clothing stuff and whatever, and you've got, you know, magazine all the time, like, oh, there's wacky Japan, look at the clothes and look at the Hello Kitty and look at the cute stuff, you know, and you have all that kind of stuff around, but, you know, back kind of when I got into it, that wasn't the case, and Japan was still this kind of weird fandom to get into uh, that a lot of people weren't into. But the question was, like, so, like, why did I get into Japanese stuff? And and where did I come into it? And this all actually starts in junior high. Starts in junior high, the boy named Ricky Smith. Um, I had a terrible, terrible crush on Ricky Smith. And yes, I did intentionally put a dramatic pause there. Uh, because I'm going to say not in the way that you're thinking. Not like any kind of romantic crush or anything. Uh, more a crush in the platonic sense of this is a really cool person and I want to be around them more. Um, so Ricky Smith was a boy uh, who had no problem fitting in. Uh, and I'm sure many of us have gone through issues of fitting in or, you know, in one way or another. Um, but, and, you know, maybe I don't know for sure. Maybe, maybe he did. But the way he came across was when he would come in a room, you know, he would just be, ah, there's Ricky. And you, you, never, you never felt like anybody disliked him. You never felt like anybody had a problem with him. You felt like everybody was his friend. Uh, he was very charismatic. He was very outgoing. Uh, he never had a problem talking to somebody. He never had a problem um, meeting people and holding a conversation. And that wasn't the, the initial reason why maybe I was interested in being his friend. But um, I do know that I kind of felt like that was the person I always wanted to be because I had a huge, huge problem uh, with that initial meeting of people and that, that initial uh, conversation. And I still, to this day, I, I have huge trouble with that small talk because uh, I grew up in a single-parent household and my mother was gone most of the time, so I was home alone. And so I grew up alone, which I'm not saying pity me or anything, you know, I'm not saying poor me, whatever, but I grew up in a situation where for most of the time I was around myself and I got used to that. And when you do that... You, you don't get used to holding conversation. And the conversation I did have were typically when there was something I needed or wanted to say. You know, I, so small talk was always a, a strange thing to me. So, so people like Ricky Smith who could just come in and everybody would like him and he was everybody's friend. And, you know, that, that was something I, I very much envied. Uh, but Ricky was this just awesome guy. And one of the things about him was he was somebody who you felt like already knew that, or that you, you, you felt like he already knew who he was. Uh, and, you know, and especially in, in junior high, you didn't know who you were. You know, in high school, you maybe still didn't know. You know, to this day, people still don't know necessarily who they are. Um, but you always felt like Ricky knew. You know, he knew who he was. Uh, and his thing was he, was he was really into art. He was a great artist. I mean, a- absolutely great. Uh, and I, that too, I, I, I always wanted to be able to do art. I, I still to this day absolutely cannot 
do art whatsoever. Um, so that too, I kind of envied is he could do these awesome drawings of characters. And the thing was, you know, I really had a really um, active imagination. I daydreamed a lot and I would come up with these characters and stories and things like that. And so I just, you know, like, man, this guy can just draw stuff. You know, if, if I could draw stuff, I could get these characters out of my head. And that's kind of why I became a writer was because I couldn't draw. So the only way for me to get these thoughts out was to write them. And that's also too kind of like why I like podcasting is because it gets things out. You know, it's a, it's a way to get that out of your brain. Um, so he, he could draw and you were, you were just like, you know what? Ricky's going to grow up. And he's going to be this awesome artist. And I don't even know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what he ended up doing, you know. Uh, I totally lost contact with him after junior high, but that's just what you felt like he was going to do. Um, and as part of that, Ricky liked comics. So comics were the way that <laughs> that was my plan for how to be- become a better friend with Ricky Smith. It's comics. He liked comics, and I, I, I kind of liked comics too. Uh, the problem was I liked the wrong comics. Uh, Ricky was really into super, superhero stuff, and most especially X-Men. Uh, me, I never, ever liked superheroes at all. Not not one bit. They, they just, I mean, I, I kind of like Batman, and when I was a kid, I kind of liked Superman, you know? Um, but I just, for the most part, I didn't, didn't care about superhero stories. Like, they, they, they just weren't interesting to me. Like, I, I didn't like this character puts on a suit, you know? And becomes this 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 symbol of something or another, you know. I don't know. I just it did it felt weird to me. Um, so the comics I read were things like uh, GI Joe, Transformers, uh, Starriers. Nobody's gonna know Starriers. If you know Starriers, let me know, and um, I will be very very impressed. You know, I'm gonna check to make sure it is Starriers. I'm I'm 99% sure. Uh, and see, this is the fun part of me doing a solo podcast and not editing, is you get to sit around and listen to uh, Starriers. Yes, Starriers, it was. So if you know Starriers, send me an email or send me a, a Twitter tweet. Let me know. I would be impressed. Uh, but, you know, stuff like that. Dakota North. Like, no. Okay, maybe you don't know Starriers, but almost as likely you have no idea who Dakota North is. Um and I didn't know how I got into Dakota North, but anyway. Uh, so this is the kind of comics I was into. Not at all superhero stuff. But Ricky Smith really, really liked X-Men. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to like X-Men too. I am, you know, I can do this. So, I, I, you know, you go out, you buy some comics, you read, you read them. Totally random. Because I, I didn't know what the crap I was buying. You know, I didn't know what X-Men to go after. Um, and I was just like, hey, you know, uh, it's got a cool female character on the cover. I'm going to get this one, you know. Thanks about like Rogue or... I think I got one of the issues where, like, Phoenix was reborn. Um, that big story. So I'm like, all right, X-Men. <clears throat> now I know X-Men. Now I can sit down with Ricky Smith at lunch and we can talk X-Men. This is going to be sweet. You know. Uh, so I did. And I knew random pieces here or there. Just enough to say, hey, Ricky, how about that Phoenix? Isn't she kooky? You know, stuff like that. Um, so one day I'm out. And I'm looking for X-Men comics, my local comic shop. I'm back in the uh, archives section, flipping through issues. And I come across this comic called Xenon. Now, Xenon, what's this? It's got this guy on the cover. got this, like, wild black hair. And he's got, like, part of his body's a robot. And I was like, you know what? Hmm. This is kind of interesting. 
It's probably cheap or something, you know. So I'm like, all right, I'll uh, buy me an issue or two. So I did. Take it home. Open it up. And what the Christ is in black and white. Now, what is this? What is this black and white stuff, all right? Because the thing is, (laughs) back at that point, if you bought a black and white comic book, it was either A, some wacky commie liberal indie scene comic book about people sitting around getting drunk all day long or it was porn one of the two you know like Omaha the Cat Dancer or whatever that kind of porn you know so black and white comic for one of the two so here all of a sudden I had this comic book and I'm like wait this should be in color but it's not it's in black and white because it's not it's not weird pinko liberal commie indie scene storylines uh and it's not porn. This this is bizarre. But I, I read it, and I think I got like a just totally random volume of this comic. Um, but it was kind of interesting. It was like it was interesting in a way that uh, storyline wise, I had never seen before in comic books. You know, it it, it there was there were no real superheroes. Um, the main character was this kind of like teenage guy who could transform into a robot and back. And he, like, wasn't really any good at fighting. And he was basically just barely surviving in the fights. And he would cuss. And, and he stuttered in this comic. I'm like, what, what is it with this character stuttering? This is so bizarre. You know, but, but it was really interesting to me. So I went back and I got more copies of this Xenon. And what I came to understand was this was a Japanese comic. And now, at that point, I, I had liked Japanese cartoons. But wait, you understand it's fact that I didn't know I liked Japanese cartoons. What I knew was uh, channels like Showtime had these cartoons like uh, Shogun Warrior Guy King, you know, or Battle of the Planets, or things like that. And they looked very different than American cartoons. They, they looked like American cartoons intros, which was always funny because American cartoons had these intros that ended up looking nothing like the actual cartoon itself looked like. Uh, but, you know, I, I like these things. And you'd even, like, go and you'd... Or, like, Robotech, you know? And you'd go and you'd rent Robotech the movie. And you'd bring it home. And it was weird. It was so weird. Because they were just, like, these long pauses where there was like nothing going on. It was just characters talking or characters doing something or characters living a life or something. And it was so bizarre when you're used to like Transformers the movie and G.I. Joe the movie and things like these, you know, because you didn't at this point understand that this is Japanese storytelling and Japanese storytelling was weird compared to American storytelling in that regard. So I had liked these Japanese cartoons, but I had never known they were Japanese. And this was the first real time that I understood that something that I was enjoying was from another country. Same with video games, you know. Some people, like, you'll have Nick Rock saying, oh, I was playing Bamagon when I was six years old, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, but for most people, we didn't know. Games were games. We didn't know where they came from. All we knew was, like, I went to the store, there's a game there, I'm going to buy it. It's cool. You know, just magically... Nintendo makes everything, you know. If it's on the NES, Nintendo makes it. 
That's, that's all you, you know. You know, you didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know where these things were coming from. So, this this comic, this Xenon, was kind of the first real time that I understood that Japanese media was something different than I was used to. And it was interesting, and it really was. And so I got back more into it. And at the time, Xenon was being published by Eclipse Comics. Uh, let's see if this has what Eclipse. What is Eclipse's history? Uh, it was an American comic book publisher, one of several independent publishers during the 1980s and early 1990s. Uh, so Eclipse, if I'm not mistaken, was one of the first companies to start kind of... Um, okay, so it says here, in 1988, in partnership with Viz Communications and Studio Proteus, Eclipse published some of the earlier Japanese manga translated into English. Area 88, My the Psychic Girl, uh, The Legend of Kamui, and uh, further on stuff like Xenon and whatever. So I got into Xenon, and Xenon led two things like those, like Area 88 and My the Psychic Girl. And at this point, so at this point, anime barely existed as anime. Um, you had things like Streamline Productions, the infamous Carl Masick, uh, doing things like taking all the different pieces of Robotech and, um, was it Mesopotamia or whatever the frick it is, um, and Southern Cross and things like that, and merging them together and calling them Robotech, you know. Um, so you had things like that, but you had very little in actual subtitled content for anime. So really, at that point, and, and, and if, if it even existed, if it even existed, um, which I'm trying to think of who did Gunbuster, but uh, if it even existed, it was in specialty stops. Specialty shops. Uh, who did Gunbuster originally in America? Uh, U.S. Renditions, yes. U.S. Renditions was a, a company that was one of the first real companies to do subtitles of in America. But anyway, I'm totally randomly jumping back and forth here. Um, at this point, so it was more likely that you were going to find manga versus anime if you were going to be exposed to this kind of thing. So I get into this stuff, and I started getting into reading these comics, and they're just fascinating to me because you have, like, my psychic girl, right? You have this crazy story about this girl who's got psychic powers and, and whatever and blah, 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 and all of a sudden there might be a booby on, on the page. It's like, whoa, there's a press in this. Because like I said, you, you were used to like these, those, those adult, you know, porn comics. Those crazy underground things that you snug copies of somewhere and looked at. Um, but for the most part, you know, Spider-Man didn't have titties in it, you know. Batman wasn't walking into a room and, oh, look, boobies, you know. There wasn't, that wasn't going on. So you had comments like, my, but this young girl with psychic powers, and it's a really steep and serious story, and then you have a character naked at some point. And it's just like, yeah, okay, that's what's going on, you know? And it blows your mind, because you're not used to that. So this stuff was, like, exciting. It was different. And it wasn't that weird pinko, commie, indie, underground, alcoholics, anonymous stuff, you know? Uh, so it got into that kind of stuff. And then you had people like, um, I think, Dark Horse, who were doing... Uh, no... Is it Dark Horse? Now, see, I, 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 you know, I should do all this uh, pre-show. Appleseed. Let's look at Appleseed. That's where we're going next. 
for anybody who knows Appleseed. Appleseed the manga. Who was Dark Horse? I was right. Dark Horse. Part of Eclipse. I'm sorry. It was part of Eclipse and then Dark Horse. So, like, I also come across Dark, I mean, uh, Appleseed, which, again, this very serious, very interesting, very epic-feeling kind of story uh, about, like, the world's gone to hell, and there's this, this lady cop, and she's got a robotic partner, uh, you know, Dana Newt and uh, Brarios, if I remember correctly, and, again, a lot of nudity in this comic, but, like, interspersed through storyline. And the reason they keep on this nudity is because, like, you have to understand, I wasn't used to this. People weren't used to this. People weren't used to because all comics didn't have nudity. You have all the, the American comics with their comic codes and whatever, you know. So, you, as a youngin, I was not used to this kind of stuff. It was crazy. It was, like, it was like serious, and people were dying and getting shot in the head and, and pubic hair and all that kind of weird stuff. Um, so, I'm into Appleseed, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to write a letter to the Appleseed people um, because, I don't know, because, you know, back then comics had letters in them. Crazy, I know, but they had letters in them. So I wrote this letter, and I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. I like this Appleseed. Uh, are you going to make a cartoon about it? Like I said, I still didn't totally understand the whole process of all this stuff. I didn't understand that Appleseed was part of this big Japanese publishing scene and there might already be an anime about it and all that kind of stuff. So um, I love to find folks at the Appleseed Production Company uh, here in America. Uh, and I said, hey, you know, are you going to make a cartoon about this maybe? So they print my letter in one of the issues of Appleseed. And at this time, they printed your name full name and full address absolutely no possible way they would do that at this point because oh my god people would freak out be like oh my god why'd you put my you know full address someone's gonna hunt me down and kill me now um at this point you know what they just did that they just did that so i get this letter from canada about a month and a half later after the issues come out i open it up and it's got letterhead. And it's by some Star Wolf guy. Like, very, very, you know, professional-sounding Star Wolf. Letterhead with a big Star Wolf guy there with a gun standing there and stuff, you know. And he's like, hey, I read your letter in, Apple, in the Appleseed issue, you know. And I want to let you know, Appleseed cartoon does exist. If you want it. Let me know. So I, wrote, I mail, not email, mail, because we didn't have email yet. Mail him back. And I'm like, hey, this sounds pretty awesome. Sure. What? Send it to me. I, I want to see this. So this, of course, was my introduction to tape trading. Another nostalgic piece of history that, that you kids out there can no longer appreciate. So I get like a tape or two from him, like VHS cassette. Uh, no real label on it, just plain store-bought tape. And I put one in, and it's got, I think, one of the episodes of the Appleseed OAV or OVA on it. Uh, and then after that is like an 
hour and a half of completely random clips of anime. No designation onto what's what. No saying what they're from. And totally, like, nth generation copies of everything. So some are fading in and out. Some have noise on top or bottom, you know. Some are, like, the colors are blending together. And, and But I just sit there transfixed by all of these things I'm seeing. Because I'm seeing, just like it was with the manga... I'm seeing all these elements of, of, of cartoons that I had never seen before. Like people getting murdered or people dying, people naked having sex, you know, uh, 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 just crazy stuff. Super hyper, like, like five minutes of super hyper cute Sailor Senshi stuff followed by hardcore demon cocks, you know, or something. I, I don't quite think Uratsuki Doji was on there, but it might have been, for all I remember. So, like, I discover anime. And, and anime was this amazing thing. And yes, at that point, I could go to a store and buy a few tapes. Like I said, U.S. renditions had Gunbuster out, subtitled. Streamline had their, their few things all dubbed in English, uh, but most of it was. It's funny because as much at this point as we blame the internet for trading and companies are saying, you know, oh, your, your torrents are bringing us down, what got anime to be popular in this country was exactly that, trading. It was finding somebody who had a tape that they had got from somebody who had got it from somebody. And you got a copy from that last person in the line. And every generation, it get worse, but you would put that in, and there were no subtitles, there was no English language, but you sat and watched, transfixed at this stuff. Uh, I remember watching Project Echo for the first time, completely in Japanese. I had, I had no clue what the F was going on in that storyline, because if you've seen Project Echo... Anything about the fact that if you didn't know that the, what they were saying, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. All I knew is there's this girl, a redhead, and she's super strong for some reason, and she's got this blonde friend who's a ditz, and there's this purple girl who effing hates their guts for some reason. I don't know why, and she's trying to kick the redhead's ass the entire movie. That's all, that's all I knew, but it was awesome. It was girls beating up each other, you know? It was like rockets and, and robots and, and all this kind of crazy stuff. They had that, and I also got Dirty Pair Project Eden, which, oh my god, I loved Dirty Pair. Still to this day, one of my favorite anime series ever. Um, that too, like, you know, as I'm sure you can tell by now, I'm into the female characters. I appreciate them more than the male characters. So here was two of these awesome female characters who were who were sexy, like in a good way, not like in a that are alive, hey, we're 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 tits that happen to have a body connected to us. You know, these were these were characters who were sexy but also smart and who um blew a lot of shit up but got the job done in the process. Uh and, and it was in that that movie 
so good. But, and, and, you know, I was sitting there, and I didn't speak any Japanese at all at that point. None whatsoever. Couldn't even understand one word of it outside of maybe like Banzai or Kamikaze or Sayonara or whatever. Um, but it didn't matter because it was still so interesting to watch this. So, so anime. So I get into that. And that takes me to high school. And high school, now high school, man, that was, that was, that was high level. You get to high, you know, junior high, pff, that's a small time. But high school, that's where this stuff gets serious. And in junior high, I, we had a choice of one of three languages to take. We had uh, Spanish, German, French. I took French. I tell you I took French. I don't know how I ever passed the class I took because I don't remember hardly anything about it, but I took French. But all of a sudden, I get to high school, and here's Japanese. Oh, yeah. See, now it's on. Japanese class, baby. I'm going to learn to speak this weird moon language that all my cartoons are speaking. Um, unfortunately, <clears throat> our Japanese teacher was the Latin teacher. And she, funny enough, did not speak Japanese. Now, let me repeat that for you, folks. Our Japanese teacher did not speak Japanese. Not at all. So when we're learning Japanese in this class, our teacher is learning with us. So how does that work, you ask? I'll tell you. So it was this TV thing. There was, in a neighboring town, the educational center. And from there, they were doing these Japanese classes. So half of the week, what class consisted of was us sitting in class, watching TV. And watching this instructor on TV trying to teach us Japanese, going through skits, and things like this. Now, as boring <laughs> as whatever classes you took in school could be where our teacher sits there and just blah, blah, blahs the entire time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worse when it's on TV. Because at that point, you don't have a teacher there to scold you if you aren't paying attention. You have a teacher on a TV screen who can't see you and most of the time could not hear you. Uh, so you, your, your attention like dropped very quickly. And you could not say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. Could you repeat that again real quick? No, there was none of that. So it was hell. However, on certain days for this program, different classrooms would, be, would call in on the phone. And so you have this phone. <laughs> this is as ridiculous as it sounds. You have this phone, speakerphone, and every day you'd have like three or four classrooms call in. And the teacher would randomly say, Hey, uh, douchebag high. First time come to mind, I don't know why. Douchebag high. Somebody over there would give me the answer. And somebody in your classroom would have to say the answer. Uh, we were like one of the worst classes when it came to this, this learning Japanese stuff. So the one word we all knew by heart was wakarimasen. Of course, wakarimasen means I don't know. And on a regular basis, we would be called. I mean, it was one of our days to be on the line. And our teacher would blurt something out, 
And we'd be like, you know what? Wakarimasen. And the teacher would give us this, like, disgusted, like, oh, you jack off who aren't even trying kind of look. And then you'd go on to the next class. So it was, it was terrible. It was terrible, but at the same time, there was something fun about it. And it, it made me want to learn Japanese more. Because I had this chance to kind of start to get exposed to it. But I didn't have the chance to really totally learn it. So it made me think, you know what? This is something I actually, I do kind of want to pursue, I think. So about three years or so after high school. So, you know, uh, as I said, I, I learned very little of actual Japanese. But it, it got me interested in it, you know. And I continued on with my anime and manga stuff and whatever. And about three years after high school... Of course, along comes Game Fan. Which is a huge, totally huge discussion on it in its own. You know what I mean? It's a, that's a totally different podcast. And that's one that, actually, for warning, Nick Casey and I did talk about that kind of stuff. But Game Fan was crazy. Um, but, so, getting to Game Fan, all of a sudden I'm surrounded by people who like Japan. Of course, you have Dave Halverson, nuts about Japanese stuff. You have Nick Rocks, Casey Lowe, both of them seriously nuts about this Japanese stuff. Uh, you and you have like all these other people on staff, you know, because that's what that's what Game Fan was. It was these people who were really into this Japanese stuff. So of course, that kind of fueled my my love for Japan, and that like. I want to say before before I got to, to Game Fan, I had already become what you would consider an otaku. Like I was, you know, really hardcore into it. Um, I was that annoying type who'd be like, "Well, you know, these American cartoons are all just for kids and stuff." But in Japan, in Japan, anime is like anime is like they're Hollywood, you know, and like everybody in Japan reads the manga. And not these stupid kitty cart comic books and stuff like that. And anime is like serious, whereas, man, Disney, man, screw that Disney, you know. I was one of those kind of people. And I admit it completely. Completely admit it, you know. I was, I was pretty bad. And, but, you know, I was, I was really into it. And I even, I even like, I remember the day I got my Laserdisc player. Oh, man, that was so exciting. Because before DVD existed, this was the area era where I kind of thought DVD was going to come along at some point because we had had CDs for a while. And in the back of your head, you're kind of like, it makes too much sense for us to put movies onto these little CD-sized things. You know, that just made too much sense. Um, but... I got this LaserDisc player, and what was exciting about it was LaserDiscs, unlike VHS, could have two audio tracks. So you could have your Japanese, and you could have your English. And then if you turned on closed captioning, which not the best solution, but you know what? It was subtitling. And so you had, like, the perfect, at that point, the perfect solution for anime. And it looked way better, way better than this VHS stuff. 
So that helped get me more into anime. And then I go to Game Fan. And I'm surrounded by these people who are into it. And I start doing it as a living. Now, doing something as a living, I almost want to say there's, 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 there's two levels to it. Because you do something as a, as a fandom, you know. You're a fan of something and, and, and you're doing it for fun. You're doing it as a hobby. But then you get the chance to do it as your job. And at first, that makes you super duper hyper into it. Like that gets you into overdrive because all of a sudden you're inundated with it. And here I was a game fan and I end up at one point being the anime guy. This is this is after uh, Dave leaves, Nick leaves, I think Casey leaves. Uh, a few of them go over and start up Gamers Republic. And then, you know, half of us stick around at GameFan and keep doing that. So I get I get bumped up to the position of being the guy in charge of, of anime fan. And because of that, I end up with like and this is this is not exaggeration whatsoever. I end up with like seven hundred and fifty actual retail VHS cassettes of legit official anime in my collection because of all the stuff companies were sending me to review. So for, I mean, for like a two-year period, like anything that came out, I got. And I got every single copy of. And companies like ADV would send me one of each. Send me like a, a dub version and a sub version so I could review both, you know. So I was like, everywhere I looked, I had these VHS tapes of anime. And I was just, you know, it was gaming and anime and Japanese stuff. And I'm out in Los Angeles now. I'm, I'm leaving there for, for working at Game Fan. And I go down to little Tokyo. And oh my god, I, like there's actual actual Japanese bookstores and, and import game shops and all this kind of stuff. And it was crazy. And that kind of kicked that hobby into overdrive. Uh, then, of course, y- y- you do end up reaching level two of all this when you do your hobby as your job. And that's when you end up completely hating your hobby because it's your job. And you're like, I, I feel, I feel uh, not selfish. I feel uh, an elitist. I feel spoiled. That's what I'm looking for. I feel spoiled saying this. But I hate having to play video games right now because I don't want to do it, you know? It, you get to that point where it's like, you know, this is something I love, but I want to do anything in the world at this moment except play this particular video game because I have to right now. And when you have to do something, it drives you mad. So... I go through Game Fan, do all that kind of stuff, and Game Fan's getting crazy. It, it's it's getting to a point where <sighs> said half the staff leaves. They go start another magazine. Uh, the mood kind of changes a little bit, and some for the better, and some for the worse. And I lived out in California for for, for two years. Uh, I moved out here. I knew nobody when I, when I moved out here. I, only friends I had at that point were people who worked a game fan. I had no car, which I don't care what anybody tells you. Living in a, 
LA without a car sucks ass. And all my friends are back home. All my family is back home. Everything I love is back home. I hated LA. And I hated LA because I lived out in an area called Thousand Oaks. And Thousand Oaks is far enough away from LA to make it a pain to get down to LA, do anything fun, but it's still like suburby kind of type of area. It's at that perfect um, distance away from the main city to have nothing going on in it, uh, but be far enough away that it takes forever to get down to something fun. So it sucked. Uh, it really, really sucked. Especially without a car. So I was just tired of that. I was tired of everything. So I moved back home. I get back home and I reconnect with one, with one of my friends from previous living in my hometown. And he was somebody who was always really into this Japanese stuff. And he was learning Japanese and he spoke some of it and stuff. And he... Uh, Shortly after I moved back, he actually got married to a, a girl from Japan. But he knew a lot of the exchange students from Japan that were in our city. Because our city had a sister city in Japan, and one of the colleges ended up having... Now, granted, not a lot compared to some bigger cities, but for the size of my hometown, we had, I would say, a lot of... Japanese exchange students, like, versus another specific Asian country like Korea or wherever else, China, you know. So we had this decent Japanese community, and my going back and connecting back with this friend, all of a sudden I find myself in this community. I find myself going to parties where it's Japanese person, 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 Japanese person. My friend who's black and me, the one whitey in the room. And it was, it was, it was, it was exciting because I was being thrown into this culture that I really, up until that point, I had been otaku. I had been anime, manga, video games. You know, Wall Scrolls, um, Pocky, I guess. I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess Pocky. I, I, would, I probably wouldn't catch the Pocky, but you know, that kind of thing. You know, I, I, you're, I was at that point that a lot of people get in, in being fans of Japan where they think they know Japan. And they're like, yeah, man, I watch the anime, you know, I read the, I read the manga, not comics, white boy, manga, you know, yeah. Hey, round eye, I know all this stuff, you know? So I was at that point of thinking that you know about something. And then, all of a sudden, I was in this community of people where I was getting kind of a, a much realer look at it. Now, granted, it was still a different look because it was people from Japan being exchange students. And when you're an exchange student, that completely changes who you are as a person and how you act. But still, it was like this, this look that I had never gotten before and something more honest. And I got to see 
like the interesting parts of the Japanese culture in a way through them. But I also got to see some of the weird parts too. So it was this fascinating new look that I got at it. And one of the things that, that I found was that I would be sitting there at these parties and everybody would be, be speaking Japanese. And my friend would be there and he would be, you know, he, he only knew, he, he still at this point wasn't like super, super good at it, but he was not bad. But he would be trying. And, and he, like Ricky Smith, was very outgoing was was very friendly was very had a very very easy time meeting somebody for the first time and and just acting like they had been known each other forever so there he was with this little bit of japanese he knew and he was just like talking to them and i felt very left out and i felt like that was something i wanted to be part of i like i i want you know i i enjoyed being there because i Part of me was still the fact that, oh, I love everything about Japan, so I want to be around these Japanese people. But another part was, like, I was finding this culture more interesting. And I would be at these parties, and I couldn't interact in the way I wanted to interact. Every now and then, somebody would, like, look at me and talk in English, you know, and, and like, feel sorry for me, probably, or whatever. But So I, I that was like the real kick in the ass where I said, you know what? I want, I want to learn some Japanese. I want to be able to converse with these people. Um, and, and there at those parties, um, I was going to use her real name. You know what? F it. Uh, is there a reason for me not to, uh, you're not going, you're going to find her or anything. So there I met Aki. Ah, Aki. Not this point in my romantic adventures. I had kind of always been the the. I don't want to say dominant one, but I want to say the one more in control of things. Like, oh hey, there's this cute girl I like. I'm gonna ask her out. We go out, we do things. Get to a certain point, and I say, you know what? I really like you, but for this certain reason, I don't think it's working out. So we need to break up. Ah, but Aki was different. Aki was the first time where I really fell hard for somebody in a in a unhealthy way. Um, when I first met her, I don't know that she had somebody at that point. Uh, <clears throat> but our first meeting was not super exciting. But then about six months or so later, I meet her again at one of these parties. And I'm like, wow, that's that cute girl I met before. And so we talked some more. And at that point, she had a boyfriend, and her boyfriend was a really a-hole of a guy, and he was terrible to her and all that kind of stuff, but whatever. Um, but so I really fell for this girl. Like that kind of, you know what, I am now going to dedicate my life to dating this person I'm not going to say no take no for an answer uh, and she finally breaks up with the guy she's with and I ask her out and she's like alright but just be aware this is her talking just be aware that if my old boyfriend asks me back out I will dump you and go back with him 
because really I want to be with him and not you. And I was like, you know what? I'm fine with that. <laughs> I know, totally, totally unhealthy, I know. But So we start dating. And this is my first real... Like this, this is the entering the matrix for me. You know, this, this is this is my. All right, now I have a real connection to Japan. I am dating one of its spawn. You know, I have made it, and I will be honest. There was part of me at that point that was like, you know what? I think Japanese girls are super cute, and I want to date one. So there was part of that, which is not always the best way to find somebody. If you're like, okay, I want a girl with big breasts. I want a guy who super muscular. You know, I want a guy who plays a guitar. I want a girl who's a redhead, whatever your qualifications are. Blah, blah, blah. It's all about the personality, emotional, mental, not physical. You know, you know all that stuff, but. There was part of that. There was part of that I said, you know what? I want to be with a Japanese girl. So. so I was. And the absolutely ridiculously crazy because she was fucking nuts, all right? No offense to people who are nuts, but she was fucking nuts. Um, as, as Here's the racist part of the show here, folks. As could be possibly argued for all Japanese women, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, so, the reason I'm bringing her up, and the reason she is important to this story, is because it is because of Aki that I first get to Japan. So, I had been back from, from living in California. I was living back home. I was working for Game Fan, All that kind of stuff. And in... December of 2000, Game Fan shuts down. So I'm like, hmm. Now, see, I'm, I'm, I think I'm screwing it up because I think that my first trip happened before that happened. It did. Sorry. Rewind a little bit. Because my first trip to Japan is in Summer of 2000. That's correct. It's before Game Fan shuts down completely. Because uh, it was at a point where, where things were going weird for Game Fan, but they weren't shut down yet. Um, so she gets out of school, and because of the kind of visa she has, it's either you get a job and get sponsorship, or you go home. So she's homesick, and she goes home. And I'm like, you know what? This is my real chance to go to Japan. Because see, now, now, I'm dating somebody from Japan. And she's back there. So I can go stay with her. Uh, which, had I been smarter, I would have realized the fact that going to stay with a Japanese family and their daughter might not be the best idea. It didn't turn out fine, but you know. When you're young and don't think about like, all those kind of things, you don't think about them. But my thought process was, I get to now go to Japan. So we set it up, and I fly over, and 
I go to Osaka. She meets me. And then she takes me down to uh, where we're going to be staying at. In the Shinkansen. And that whole trip is kind of a blur. It's kind of a blur because it's the first time I'm ever actually in Japan. And it's crazy. Like, it's this world up, you know, because there's the whole thing about, you know, for otaku, Japan, it's mecca. And there is something to that, you know. You, you keep thinking because while it's sort of ridiculous to think, you get this idea that Japan is the motherland, you know. I'm going to go to Japan and they're all going to understand me there. And everybody watches anime and everybody reads manga and everybody has Hello Kitty on their phone straps and everyone's going to understand me and it's okay that I'm a nerd and I'm fat and I'm weird and that I like this anime and I want to have sex with 2D girls and or 2D guys or whatever and the Yuri and the Yaoi and the blah blah and the blah blah but I go to Japan and they're all going to oh accept me with open arms you know there's that that thought that I'm a weirdo in America you know, it's like you're explaining, like, why do people think I'm a weirdo for liking anime? It's because I'm in America, man. America doesn't understand. America's stupid dude bros who just like coffee and football. I don't know why I included coffee in that, but, you know. So you're like, I'm going to go to Japan, and they're going to love me there. They're going to love me there because that's my people. That's my people. I'm going to go back to my people, you know. And so your first trip is kind of like that. Because your brain isn't completely processing what it's seeing. And for me, too, there was the whole thing. So I get over there. And at one point, I meet her sister. And her sister's like, so are you guys getting married or something? And I'm like, uh, no. Because I didn't realize, I didn't realize that everybody in Japan who knows this Aki girl is thinking, obviously, that I came over to ask her to get married. Because that makes sense, you see, to everybody but me. So I'm not thinking that. So even 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 Aki is thinking this in some degree, which I don't realize, and then I get back to America and we break up and that comes up and whatever. But I'm just like I'm just like freaking out. And and also I was a total a-hole to her in a way, because I'm like I want to go see SNK in Osaka since we're going to Osaka. Take me there, you know? And I'm just like, why don't you understand where it's at? Because I had no appreciation for Japan and how things work in Japan as far as finding stuff, you know? I just expected, like, in America, you know? You're like, hey, okay, where's the Walmart? The Walmart's at First and Central. All right, let's go to First and Central. There we are, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I get to Japan, and it's it's... It's weird because at this point I speak very little Japanese. So I'm relying on her for most things. And I really have so little memory of that trip just because it was this, you know, it's kind of like the first time you take drugs. You're not expecting it. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the experience is going to be. You don't know any of that. So it's just, it's just like, I, I, you know, you're just like, you're like, just living the moment. Whatever happens, happens. And it's cool. Like, I went and I had udon 
And I went to shopping stores and went to game shops and uh, stayed in a little business hotel and all this kind of weird stuff. But I don't remember most of it. But it was this exciting world. And what I realized was it was nothing like I expected it to be. Because I expected to go to Japan and I expected it to be about games and action figures and stickers and anime t-shirts and things like that, you know? Because when you're in the West and you go to these shops that give you this access to Japan and Japan's things, they're very specialty and they have certain things, you know, they're, you know, they have the stickers and they have the anime t-shirts and they have the action figures. Because that's what people are looking for. That's what people are going to buy. And that's, that's, that's the little pieces of Japan that they know are going to attract you to their store. But then you get there, and it's just such a different place. It, it's, it's, like, it's like if you have uh, a musician that you've loved your entire life. And you have this idea of who they are because you see them on TV or you read their Twitter or all this kind of stuff, you know, and, and you've got this, this whole mental image of who the star is. And then you meet them in real life, and they're nothing like that. Because you're meeting the real them. And maybe that day they're an a-hole to you. Maybe that day they're tired, and so they're not very excited. Maybe that day they are super nice. Maybe they're just being a jerk for some reason, you know. You don't never know, but you meet them, and that whole fantasy of who they are is crushed, but then that reality starts to build back in its place. And that reality, you come to realize, is far more interesting than your fantasy ever was. Because reality does have its negatives, but it also has positives. It's Japan is... Japan is... What is Japan? You, you come to realize that the gaming doesn't matter. The anime doesn't matter. The manga doesn't matter. It's those other things, those other interesting moments that you have when you're there that really let you see the country in a way that you cannot experience it any other way except for being there. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a train ride. It's a, it's a it's a it's a hot can of tea from a vending machine. It's a bag of chips from a convenience store. It's uh, a certain style of socks that all the schoolgirls are wearing. It's cars that are far smaller than the cars that you're used to in your own country. It's streets <laughs> that are ridiculously small that you think should not be passable by two vehicles. It's all these little things. That's what Japan is. Japan isn't... It's not... It, like, like I go there now, and it's not about going to... You know, I, I do enjoy it. Like, the last trip I went to, I went for TGS, and I went to... For the first time ever, I went to Akihabara. 
had never been there before in my entire life because almost all my trips had been to Osaka. And I go to Akihabara and I'm going to the shops and I love the shops, but part of me is like, you know what, I really don't, I don't care about this video game stuff. What I really wanted, what I most wanted to do was sit down in a yakitori place. Yakitori is where they have the little skewers. Uh, you might think like fish kebab, but it's not that. It's like the little skewers, and they put like the the chicken or the vegetables, or whatever, and they kind of grill them, you know, and you eat them. It's kind of like a bar. You you go there and you drink alcohol and you eat these skewers of meat or vegetables, you know. <clears throat> and that was what I most wanted to do, because for me that was Japan. Like that's that sitting there eating that delicious food, feeling nice because of having some alcohol in me too high, you know. Um, like, that's Japan to me. And it, it, it wasn't... All those things that you think about, all the all the years I spent getting to the point of going to Japan were all about these, these fandom kind of stuff. And that fandom still exists in me. I do, at some level, still like all those things. Maybe not as much as I used to, but I do still. But they didn't matter in the way that the life mattered. And it's all these things we take for granted. Like, like when I was living there, and I might have to, because this is already a pretty long podcast for what I was planning on doing. So I'll probably break off into two shows and do that one at some other point in the future. Um... So, in my living there, like, I realized, I realized the things I missed about America. And living in Japan, I think, made me a better American. And that sounds uber patriotic, but it's, it's true, because it, it, living in a country so different from your own makes you better understand the good and the bad of your own country. And not only understand, but appreciate those things. So, at the same time, when I came back from Japan, I realized the things I missed weren't, it wasn't that I missed having all these crazy little game shops where I could go and buy games. It wasn't that I missed the arcades. It wasn't that I missed turning on network TV and seeing One Piece. You know, I, I did miss those things, but the things I missed weren't those. It was the smaller moments. You know, it was that train ride. It was that hot can of tea. You know, it it, it was all of those little things that that you took for granted every day. So yeah, that's Japan. That's 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 my leading up to getting to Japan. That's that's not my living there, because. Um, that first trip to Japan would happen in 2000, and then in 2001 would be my first real experience living there. But as I said, that will have to probably be a different show. And this show, this first episode is going to be totally boring. Oh my god, this is going to be so boring. So if if you've listened to this whole thing, I apologize. I'm sorry um, that you did. And um, I am certain that the replies I will get to this episode will tell me to never do another one again because of how boring they are. But you know what? You can let me know if you would all enjoyed this uh, 
If you did, uh, that's great. If you didn't, and you want to write to me and tell me that I suck ass at doing solo podcasts, be my guest. Please do so, because this is why I recorded it originally and then never released it, because I was afraid that it would be so dull to listen to. But you know what? That's the beauty of podcasting. I can release this. And it costs me nothing but my precious time. And my time is precious, by the way. But it costs me nothing but that. And I can put it out there and you can listen to it for free. And if you liked it, great. But if you didn't, you know what? Your ass didn't pay a cent for it. So I don't want to hear it. But I do want to hear it, actually. I want to hear what you thought of this first episode. Uh, I will continue on with my Japanese experience, but then I will ask if I'm going to do any more of these shows, which I'm not guaranteeing. I want to see what the reaction to this one is. Uh, it'll be about anything. It'll be about anything. And for that reason, if you want to send me a question to answer on this show, you can do so. Now, I was trying to think of what email address to have you email me stuff at and I think for now for now we'll we'll maybe change in the future but then for now we're gonna use my warning a huge podcast email so if you want to send me an email send it to shidoshi that is s-h-i-d-o-s-h-i at W-A-H-P dot J-P. And that will be in the show notes for this show. And you can also send me a tweet. Tweets are probably the better way. Well, no, no, I'm not going to say that. But I'm going to say tweets are maybe an easier way. Uh, maybe not. I don't know why. I'm, I don't know. But you can tweet me. I'm at PicoAri, P-I-K-O-E-R-I. And again, that too will be in the show notes. So either way... If you have something you want, you want me to uh, answer or talk about or make a note of or whatever else on this podcast, should should more episodes be done, uh, you can do so. I do actually have a few questions for this first episode. Uh, Carlos Leon Roman, don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, asked me, which do you like more, <laughs> PC Engine or Ramen? Ooh, that's a tough question. You know, so, PC Engine, real quick. Um, which, of course, was TurboGrafx-16 here in the States. So, I used to love the TG-16. Um, I never knew why, but I have this thing about liking, like, these wacky systems and hardware, like the underdogs. And I was the only person who ever, well, not the only person, but there was a local game shop that had all the consoles at that point. And the main ones in that time frame were, you know, Super NES, Genesis, and TG-16. And they had TurboGrafx games. And I would typically be the only person to go in to buy them. Again, not the only person, but it, that's what it seemed like. So one day, when the guy there was like, you know what? We really need to, like, sell these games because they're just taking up space. And you are one of the only people who ever come in here and buy them. So would you like to buy them? Uh, if you would, we will sell them to you for 60 cents each. That is right. 0.60 US dollars. 
aka 60 cents a piece. And not just the Hue card versions, but also uh, the CD versions as well. So I picked up a whole bunch of games, but then I left a whole bunch, like copies or games I weren't really sure about. And I was like, eh, maybe I'll get them, maybe I won't, you know. Uh, at that point, you know what? F it, man. It was 60 cents each. I should have bought them all, but I didn't. Then I go back a few days later. I'm like, you know what? I, I do think I want to buy some some more of these games. And they're like, you know what? We'll give them to you for 35 cents each. At that point, I was like, you know what? I'll just buy everything else you have in stock and take them. Um, so for a long time, actually, the biggest game collection I had was the TurboGrafx-16. Until I sold it um, as one of the many things I sold in order to get myself back to Japan for the year that I lived there. Uh, I think that was for the year I lived there. I feel like it was. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was afterwards. Hmm. Um, but as much as I didn't appreciate my Turbo 16 and my Turbo Duo and all the fine games on there, I will have to go with ramen. Absolutely have to go with ramen. And I'm not talking about that Marochan BS that most people eat or that instant stuff. I'm talking about going to a good ramen place or going to Japan and going to a real ramen place. Uh, there was a place in Osaka called Osaka Osho I used to go to and I would get the kimchi ramen and I would get an order of gyoza. And that again was one of those moments that I treasure about Japan because that's, that stuff was so good. Oh. And that's one nice thing about living in L.A. at this point. Because in L.A., we do actually have some legit ramen places that you can go to. So, yeah. So, you know what? This is like, what, like a, I don't know. How long is this? How long is this damn thing? Let's see. So, uh, first one was, what, 42 minutes? And this is 37? Well, about an hour and a half. Wow, it's way longer than I anticipated. An hour and a half of me rambling. This has to be the worst podcast um, concept I've ever heard in my entire life. So, that was the first episode of Miranda's Sweet Shop. That was the first half of my story of, of uh, becoming interested in Japan. So that was the becoming interested in Japan story. Next, if I do a next, would be the living in Japan portion of that of that saga, <coughs> the Shidoshi Goes East saga. Uh, so yeah, like I said, you can email me, you can tweet me, let me know what you thought of the show. Uh, if you think it sucks ass, please tell me so because if it does, I'm not gonna do another one. This is an experiment. I am telling you that it's an experiment. Um, so yeah, if it sucks. I'm not going to waste my time or your time with future episodes. But if you did like it, let me know. And said any topic is 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 fair game for the show. Uh, if you have anything you want me to to answer or talk about on future episodes, should there be, you can let me know. An email on Twitter, uh, no matter what it is. Even if I know nothing about it, maybe I'll talk about it. I'll I'll, I'll show my ignorance on like. I don't know. Heart surgery, rocket science, whatever. Uh, so yeah, that was Miranda Sweet Shop.
episode. I don't have a fancy title for episode one. Uh, I am, as always, Shidoshi. And uh, please, even if you thought this sucked, I do two other fine podcasts, Warning a Huge Podcast and Smart Video Game Fan. And those both actually are interesting and fun to listen to. So, so even if you hated this one, please don't then retroactively hate those as well. Anyway, until the next episode, if there is one, I am Shidoshi. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening.